Welcome to RCS, or as some people know us, Rain City Supercars. I'm Nick. I'm Dan. Yeah, we just got back from our rally. Uh, that's going to be an amazing <laughs> episode. Uh, oh dear, what will we talk about? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, one one little thing, we did something really different this year in our rally. We when we did our stickers on the side, we did just RCS rallies, and they they were really nice, reflective on black. And our good friend Jeremy Salvo from www.salvo.design is uh, the guy in charge of our rebrand, and it turned out really well. We got some awesome mail um, already on the rally from people who saw the cars and liked the design. We got a lot of good feedback on it. So special thanks to that. Uh, if you want to learn more about that rebranding and how it can help you, check out Jeremy's uh, website. That's www.salvo.design, or we can hook you up. Just let us know. And look forward to next week's episode, which will be a rally recap, which if you've followed anything on social media, you know some... It, Dan and I, I'm going to say this. Our rallies have gone spotless up to this year. Nobody died, but <laughs> yeah. we've never had any issues. But between uh, deer, fires, uh, <laughs> speed, speed, yeah, I mean, it, it, detours, yeah, detour, I, yeah. Oh, man, it's dogs it, and cats living together. It was 2020. <laughs> so, Let's just yeah. put it that way. But, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we're recording live at Drivers Club, brought to you by Haggerty, Avance, Carter Subaru, and Rainier Beer, as usual, so... I had a couple of rainiers last night when I got home. I don't know why. <laughs> I am so tired. I I was beat today. It did not seem like it took me, like it took me, uh, I don't want to get into too far. Like we drove from Missoula home yesterday yeah. and it was, I got home really, like, it, I felt quickly. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I was, and I wasn't driving stupid. Faster. So yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's been, everything's on fire. And it's getting worse, uh, not better. <laughs> so, thanks, Dan. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I was kind of. It rained, and I got really excited, and yeah. then I was like, "Oh, maybe that's fog." It was not fog. It's still smoke. Okay. Um, and like the fi- we detoured around a fire. We, we'll talk about that another time. But one of them, I was like, "Oh, it's not so bad." And they're like, "Yeah, you can still come through if you want." We decided, "Nah, let's not do that." Yeah, that fire is about three to four times the size of it was. Um, the one next to Bend is now also bigger. So yeah. Um, what I'm leading into with that is not the world is ending, but uh, there is ash everywhere. You wake, if your, par- your car is parked outside for even a small amount of time, you're going to get ash on your paint. Um, we only got ash the last night. Yeah, we, yeah, it wasn't too bad, surprisingly, but in I did get a little on, yeah, we got most on the last night, we got a little in Bend, um, but the important Carter Subaru tech tip of the day or week that I want to talk about is that do not rub that stuff off your car. Ash is carbon-based, so charcoal. Think charcoal. And carbon, uh, which leads to diamond. We'll go ahead and... That's Big, a, yeah, that's a long time later. You, if, you have a, <laughs> if you have a situation where it's, everything's on fire and diamonds are dropping out of the sky, <laughs> you're going to be fine. <laughs> Just be, right. Okay, yeah. Point being, carbon is sharp. Yes. Uh, very, very sharp. And so that is worse than gravel on your car. It's like microscopic sandpaper if you wipe your car with it. I mean, it will destroy your paint to wipe this stuff off. So the tip I want to leave everybody with is very short and very simple, and that is make sure you rinse off your car very, very thoroughly with uh, a high-pressure water stream to get all that off. Do not wash your car while it's super, super smoky out. Um, This is one of those times, do not run it through a drive-through car wash. If you do not have the proper facility where you are protected from this stuff, take it to professional right now. Go to somebody who's got an indoor wash facility, Park Place, Metropolitan, Northwest Auto Salon. There's so many businesses around here that can take care of you and not destroy your paint. So this is the time of year where you do not want to mess with that. Unfortunately, this seems like to be an annual thing now. So 
when it when it's fire season and there's ash falling from the sky, do not wipe that stuff off your car. You will destroy your clear coat. And this is a little tech tip inside a tech tip. Um, if you're out actively driving in this, um, really check your filters. Check your uh-huh. cabin filters. Check your air filters because that's it, it. May not seem like you know. I I know that Dan and I the last week have been driving with the recirculation on yep. our cars. It's like anything that's in the car is staying in the car. But yeah. get in the car, yeah. hit the button. Get in the car, yeah. hit the button. That's our new routine now. So so clean out your airbox if you know where how to how to get in there. Replace your air filters. It's, it's it'll help. Yeah, your cabin filter so. and your air filter. Yep. So yeah. So that's our Carter Super Tech Tip of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, shall we get started? We shall. We have a guest this week. We do. Our guest this week is Jason Harris from Northwest European. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Welcome Hi. to the Hi. show. Thank you. Did you bring a Subaru? I did not bring a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like it wouldn't be European. No, I know. It's <laughs> right. just kidding. But, but we can talk about Subaru later. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no. We can I talk about the irony of him driving a Ford, which is <laughs> European, <laughs> yes. but it is a Ford, which is kind of cool. It's a European Ford. Yeah, it's the yeah. best kind of yeah. Ford. Which is so, totally true. Yeah, I got a friend who makes that joke all the time. He's like, are you Northwest European or Northwest Ford? Oh. <laughs> they tend to have a whole bunch of Ford Escorts and Ford GTs and things like that. Yeah, well, like I said, the best kind of Ford is a European Ford, in my opinion. So you showed up today in a 1994 Four. Ford Cosworth RS? RS. Ford yeah. Escort Cosworth Ford RS. Ford Escort car. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Take a deep breath, which if you've never seen one, if you're an Avance member... Yeah. You know what it looks like. Because it was featured in the magazine. Yeah. It was, yeah. No, I mean, thank you to Adam and Carl and that whole team. Um, it's on the cover of the inaugural uh, Avance magazine here this week. And yeah. all over the shirts. Too. And all yeah. over the yes. shirts, which yeah. I'm still waiting for Adam to bring me a shirt. Oh, you should tell us I have a spare. That's all good. What um, size do you need? No, no, no. Yeah. no we, we seriously have good. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean... Um, Gosh, I don't know. Where do you guys want to start on that sort of stuff? And, and what, what, Okay, so like, you know, give, as you know, we're kind of a car show about people, and we want to know kind of where you came from, mm-hmm. how you got here. Like, you know, Dan and I always talk about the fact that we were the crazy kids with all the Hot Wheels and things like that. Were you always a car guy growing up? You're a local yeah, guy. Local I think I got, guy. I mean, all my car background comes primarily, I guess, from two sort of avenues. One was my dad. Um, my dad was into uh, SCCA Pro Rally um, and rallied old sobs back in the, the late 70s and, and early 80s. Um, and when I was a kid, you know, I would go with him and we would go to the Olympus rally and see all that stuff. And so in 84, 85, 86, as the group B cars came and they came to 86 Olympus rally, which was the, the final group B rally event in the world. Um, it was, you know, I was 10 years old at the time, but I, it, it made such an impression. And I don't think I really realized that until much later on, but here it is 1986. I'm seeing group B rally cars like the Lancia Delta Integrale and the Peugeot and all that stuff. Um, and you know, then they killed group B at the end of 86 season. And so 87 brought really fairly boring group A rally cars right right out of the box. Um, but my favorite car, which wasn't as successful in the group B era, but I just, it resonated with me was the RS 200. And so (laughs) somewhere along that, I guess I became a Ford guy in, in the rally sense. Um, and so when the Escort Cosworth came out, you know, I mean, God, it was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, how does it not resonate with you? Yeah. You know, it's got this giant wing and flared fenders and turbocharged and all-wheel drive. Oh, it, was a, and it was a Hot Wheel. It was a Hot Wheel. It was a, it was a grown-up, full-version Hot Wheel car, yeah. totally. Um, and so I always wanted one, and, and I had that passion around that. But, but that's kind of the, the rally piece, and so my dad got me into that. Um, and then I grew up here when I was 16 years old. I worked for a gentleman in Issaquah named Tom Armstrong. Yeah. And Tom had uh, an amazing car collection of uh, vintage race cars and cars from the, the 1930s and classics and all that. 
And How did you get an awesome yeah. job like that as a young kid? I walked in and asked for a job. That's okay. And actually, I mean, you know, credit to my dad. My dad uh, had been there the night before for some class, um, some engineering class. And they went there to look at a modern indie car, suspension design work, all this. And my dad's like, you should walk in there and ask that guy for a job. And I was like, dad, he's not just going to give me a job. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Also, I don't and, want a job. <laughs> and so, and so my dad said, he goes, and my dad said, you know, such a simple thing at the time, but I, these are these moments, especially as you get older, you think back about these turning points. And he said, if you ask for a job and he says, no, nothing's changed in your life. Mm-hmm. What do you have to lose? And even 16, I was like, gosh, that's actually kind of smart. Uh, okay. Damn it, that makes sense. I go, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> So I literally walked in there, uh, and long story short, I asked for a job, and um, Tom sort of said no, but then the next day he said yes, and uh, I worked there for six years, um, which was phenomenal. I mean, it was, I knew it was phenomenal then. As I continue to think back and reflect on it, it was, it was more phenomenal than I have words for, because I keep saying phenomenal. Um, it was amazing. You know, I had exposure to some of the greatest cars in the world, some of the greatest collectors and people in the world. Um, during that time period, Tom was running a uh, uh, professional IndyCar team with Bruce McCaw. Um, and so I got kind of the insights of watching Tom's side of running that and being on the phone and hearing those phone calls and him traveling around the world and doing all this stuff. So I got to see all that. I got to see all of his business connections and all that stuff. And it was like I said, it was it was a very powerful thing for me. Tom was was a great mentor and like a second father to me for for that whole time period and for many years later. What, what were you doing for him, out of curiosity? Um, primarily learning how to work on cars. Okay. I mean, a lot of it was very you know when I was sixteen, almost an apprenticeship. I didn't know yeah. what I didn't know, so yes. it was cleaning cars. You know, okay. cars would come in, and Tom was very particular and liked everything wonderfully clean. And so it was cleaning things, and then learning how to do basic oil changes on race cars. And so at the at the shop, Just at a Issaquah, basic oil change on a race car. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and and people have anyone who's been out to the shop because I, I now work out of Tom's old race shop. It's a carpeted facility, and most people are blown away. Like, how do you work on cars in a carpeted facility? But that's the way it's always been, and it was always about disassembling the car to the basic components and then sending the engine out for rebuild and send the transmission out for rebuild, and we'd come back and get reassembled there, and back into its slot and onto the trailer. And, and Tom would race, you know, a couple dozen races a year. Uh, well, I guess a dozen races a year, a couple cars per event. But when I when I graduated college, Tom fired me, and he said, you got to go get a real job. You can't play cars your whole life. Like, go do something else. Thank you. Yeah, and, and totally. And literally, I was like, I hate it, but I know you're right. Um, Damn it, more good advice. Yeah, and yeah. so I took the I, yeah, you do what you do. I took the summer off, and I backpacked through Europe, and I came back, and I ended up getting a one of these temporary job things at some software company out here in Redmond, which turned into a full-time thing. So I was at Microsoft for 12 and a half years, left Microsoft after that, did some consulting work. And then um, that led into just buying and selling cars for fun in 2008. And by 2011, (laughs) I was selling enough cars that I was like, ah, I'm really bending some of the rules here. And so I started leasing half of Tom's uh, old race shop building in Issaquah in 2011. Uh, and then it's turned into a full-time thing, actually just five years ago this month. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I kind of didn't realize that until I was telling someone that story earlier today. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it has been five years this week. It's so. amazing when you look back. Like, And I worked at Shucks, and I thought that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was O'Reilly for our younger listeners before it was O'Reilly. Let's <laughs> say, so, yeah, some people may not yeah. know that reference. Before that, it was Al's Auto Supply. Then it was Shucks in the bottom out, and then it was O'Reilly. <laughs> yeah. You're making us feel old. I know. We, we, saw, yeah. we saw a payphone. This weekend. 
Where? A phys- on the top of Lolo Pass. Yeah. There is a physical payphone. And yes, I did check it for change. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to so, yeah. do that. Absolutely. So. Nice. So, you're, what are you driving now? I mean, not the Escort, but what is your daily driver out of curiosity? Oh, I did it a little boring in this conversation. It's, yeah, a, uh, right. it's a Toyota 4Runner TRD Pro that I bought brand new in 2016. Nothing boring Nothing about boring. that. That's yeah. a great yeah. Northwest car. Does I guess it, it, the party it feels mode boring in the, in the sense that, you know, <laughs> you look out like the windows over here and like that's, I think, what everyone expects when to drive. But the 4Runner is, I love the damn thing. You no, know? it's funny. I mean, it's like the perfect everyday bang around, haul some wheels and tires, drive, and, you know, it's one of those special one-year-only colors they did, and so I love it. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah, a good truck. Oh, is it that, like, blue? No, so this is the early one. So they had, I'm not going to go through the colors. Okay. Mine's what they call quicksand. Okay. It's like yep. that. Oh, yeah, no, okay. Yeah, yeah. look at the color. Yeah, yeah great color. Yeah. Well, that's, that is not a boring car. We're, no. We're off-road guys, so yep. I get you. Nope. Yeah. I love so, it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's funny you were talking about, uh, you know, we look at... Drivers club the same way. The ac- the access we have to the people we meet in here and the cars we see roll in here. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I come in here and I just look out the window. And I'm like, well, that's new, and I've never seen one in my life. Right. <laughs> Anytime, there's I won't say owners, but there's quite a few out there. I'm like, never well, thought I'd be next like, to that in my life. I, I always think of it, and yeah, I think you guys have all been right. Monterey Car Week, and so oh, yeah, the very first time you go, when you're a virgin to Monterey Car Week, you have no idea what to expect. And I've been going there since 1992. Um, Wow. And I took one of my best friends there 10 years ago, and I was so excited to take him to see his experience. Because, you know, by the end yeah. of the week, you're just numb to it. Yeah. You know, you just, anything driving by, you're like, oh, yep, there's another McLaren yeah, that F1. Was, that that was us when I got to take him. And, we're, we're, and, and one, of the best, one of the best moments we ever had is walking down Carmel, and there was a white McLaren F1 sitting there. And he, I don't think you'd, have you ever seen one? No, not in person. I'd never not seen person. one. I'd like, wanted, my whole just, life I'd wanted to see yep. one. And I'm just like, oh. And there it is. There it is. Sitting on the street. Yep. And Carmel. And like, there's a Bugatti. Yep. <laughs> there's another one. Yep. There's another one. Monterey oh, ruined so many dreams because you're like, yeah, I saw that already. Damn. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It, it's Pagani, just a Pagani, different Pagani, level. Pagani. You know? and, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. and a girl named Pagani. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I think on some levels there's a bit of that going on, right? You know, Drivers Club and, and the clients and the people here, which I work with a lot of them as well. I'm sure, yeah. And you get... You get, I hate to say you get numb to it, but you become somewhat accustomed to it. Yeah. So, but it's still fun to see the special stuff. You know, I think that's, that to me is that measurement of, if you don't get excited when you see a one of one thing floating out there, <laughs> then yeah, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. You know? well, and I also think like having access to these cars gives you more of an opportunity to see things that you may not have seen the first time. Like, you know, the first time I saw an Enzo, there are things that I, when I see an Enzo now that I notice that I never noticed because you, yep, were try, right. you try to take it all in yep. at that moment because you think I'm never going to see one of these again. And yeah, then it's, it's overwhelming like, visually, yeah. all the stuff going on when you see yeah. that car the first time. Yeah. It's just like looking under your hood today. Like right. talking about the, well, it's, it's the Garrett it? Turbo. Garrett Turbo. and then It's the, a T34 trim with a yeah. T25 step down on the small turbo. Yep. Yeah. I, I kind of a weird turbo of, geek yeah, in my 90s. Yeah, you got a really geeky right there. Yeah, I like it. I, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> no. Yeah, being a 90s kid who loved turbos and imports, it was like you got to know turbo trims real well because everything yep. had so much lag. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's take our first break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about uh, the cars that still excite you and uh, what you actually do for a living besides just buy and sell cars. There's okay. a lot to it. I think our listeners will enjoy learning about it. So we'll be right back. We spend an average of 8 hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens. Laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. 
this moment of escape was created by Haggerty. For people who love cars. And we're back with this episode of RCS. Um, as we were talking before, we, we kind of talked about uh, how you got to where you are now. But what exactly are you doing? You're not just selling cars anymore. You, like you said, that passion got a little bit more. Yeah, no, you, I mean. You've got a conscience. and <laughs> no, <exactly. laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, I suppose the segue works. So it's when I literally, when I started in 2008, I was excited to go down to Mannheim and buy a late model BMW M5. And if I could drive it around for the month and sell it for break even or make $500, I was like, that's a win. Yeah, because yeah. it was just I was working at Microsoft at the time, so it was it was just something to do, um, and it was a way to sample a lot of late model cars, BMWs and Porsches and Audi S4s and all that that stuff back then. Um, and then as I started doing more of it, some of it I guess was a good friend of mine who introduced me more and more into the Porsche space. Um, and I think like we were talking about earlier before this was, I think. Porsche guys, you, sometimes you don't know you're a Porsche guy until you actually drive the Porsche. Yep. Uh, and I have a great friend who still argues that he's not, but yet he's never driven one. And I'm like, you need to come out and drive one to make that assessment. But I would say I definitely realized I was a Porsche guy along that way, and I've really enjoyed those cars. So I started buying and selling more in that space. Um, That's an expensive transition, by the way. Once you become a Porsche guy, well, oh, you want to be a Porsche guy? This was right before it got expensive, right? 2008 <laughs> yeah. was just before that, that run-up, so ah, I was yeah. still able to buy air-cooled cars at a, at a reasonable price. No, I'm just saying in general, like oh, now well, or yes. then, to become a Porsche guy, yeah. once, you, once you drive one and you're like, oh, I need this. Yeah, yeah No, it's true. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's painful. It's not a want, it's a sense. need. Yeah. yeah, it is a need. Yeah. Um, and so some of that, transpired that I just started buying more of what I loved. And that was always the back of my head is I only wanted to buy and sell what I loved. And I, I have a good friend whose name is Mike. And he always told me, he goes, never buy anything that you don't want to get stuck with. He goes, if you're not willing for it to sit in your driveway for six months or a year, don't ever buy it. And that was a basic rule. If you're at Mannheim and you're tempted by it, like, look how cheap that minivan is. I could make a thousand bucks. Don't buy the minivan because you're never. Yeah, you don't, you don't want it. You don't want it. And you're not don't excited ever, about don't it. Don't ever buy the booger barge. Don't, just don't. <laughs> right. Don't do Good life motto. You know, so it's very much, you know, buy what you love. And, and so I did that for a number of years. Um, and then it was, it was five years ago when I started doing this full time. The first year, honestly, was, it was a bit of, I wanted to quit what I was doing consulting wise mm -hmm. uh, in the tech space. And so I kind of quit. I was with some friends in Monterey that year. And over dinner, we were saying something. And, you know, by the third round of drinks, I was complaining about whatever. And my good friend's like, Jason, stop complaining. Just quit your damn job if you don't want to do it. <laughs> and it really resonated with me because I'm like, God, you're calling me out and you're so right. And so I literally, Monday I went back and I walked in and I sat down with the vice president and I'm like, he goes, why are you in here on Monday morning? No. And I told him and he's like, God damn it. He goes, I knew it. He goes, all right, well, can you stick around for four weeks and help some anyway? So I transitioned stuff out and, and I quit and I was like, yes. And then I looked around, I'm like, now what? <laughs> now I got to get a job. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Christ. I'm upset. I'm going to go sell cars full time. And do I actually know what I'm doing? You know, I mean, you just have that honest, like, oh, God, did I really I'm make quitting the right Microsoft choice? to be a used car salesman. Right. Totally. This yeah. is going to work. <laughs> yeah. right. like Carl and I were talking about earlier. There's, there's some golden handcuffs that come with Microsoft and, yeah. and leaving that industry and all that. I have that. no idea so, what you're talking about. Right. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, honestly, for the first year, I kind of just fumbled around a little bit and I just kept doing what I was doing and tried to figure out, you know, I got to, I got to make a brand and I got to, I got to do all this stuff. I got to, I got to step the game up here from this part-time thing to make it more real. Um, and about, I don't know, four years ago, roughly a year or so into that process, uh, a good local friend, um, 
pushed me to consign a car. And I said, you know what? I don't do consignment because I've always had a, a, a less than stellar vision in my mind of that word, uh, just based on what I've seen around the world and how some people do that. And he said, you know, Jason, you're really good at marketing. So just take my car, sell it, and we'll sit down afterwards and figure it out. He goes, but I promise this is going to work out. And, of course, it worked out really well. And we sold the car quickly, and we sold it for a great price. That speech is supposed to be on the other side. Give me your car. Right. <laughs> no, go- yeah, no. And when, and I, when some- I sell it, I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then he brought a second car, um, and that started that. So I, I took my first consignment-based car just four years ago, and then I quickly realized that it, it resonated with me in a certain way to just do consignment the way I want to do consignment, not necessarily the way everyone else does it. Um, and consignment now is... 75% of what I do. Um, wow. And that's that's also become very, and I love it this way, it's very client-driven. So I'll have a, a fairly eclectic selection of inventory, which is usually from a small, you know, 12 to 15 core clients who I work with. And I get great cars that way. And I, I frankly, I get to deal with cars I wouldn't necessarily have the capital to go and buy um, because they're, they're, we deal with some seven-figure cars along the way too. And it's been a blast and I've really enjoyed it. And... Um, it was uh, a member here of Drivers Club. I'm working very hard to not use names necessarily, right? Right, but yeah. But someone who I think we all know and enjoy, and, and he was the first person to put the words in my mind probably three and a half years ago. He goes, Jason, you're not, you're not a consignment shop. You're not a dealer. He goes, you're, you're a boutique dealer. You really focus on a specific car and a specific client on a very deep process for the duration of that, that sales and marketing process. So I only sell 50 cars a year. Um, which in the grand scheme of cars is, is very low volume for a, for a licensed dealer. Um, but, you know, they tend to be... High-end, yeah. eclectic cars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, did I answer that question thoroughly enough? I, yeah. I feel like I rambled yeah. around, but we kind of no. got to some of the, the key points that I think is... I will say this. The one thing I've learned so far is that you, have, you are surrounded by wonderful people that give you wonderful advice. Everything from your father yeah, no up kidding. to your people in Monterey. <laughs> And you're, you're very rare in the fact that you listen to people's advice. <laughs> like, quit your job. Okay. <laughs> I've, you know, I definitely, I think, I, I think yeah. I've gotten better Don't at it. Don't ask for a job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, mean, okay. I mean, the, the yeah. joke aside, though, like, no, I've, yeah. I've gotten better at it. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that, you know, I, I, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, and I think as you get there, you start to realize stuff that in your mid-30s you even thought you understood. In your mid-20s, you definitely thought that you knew, but of course you learned later. Oh, you, you know it all. No yeah, idea, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. And, and I've gotten better about sometimes about just shutting up and listening, you know? And, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, and, and, and some days I'm not good <laughs> yeah, exactly. at it. But it's, I don't know. It, it's, you find when you surround yourself with good people uh, and they give advice and it, it's thoughtful advice and it's based in the knowledge of the experience you're going through, whatever, that it, it tends to be good advice, and you should usually at least consider it deeply, if not take it. <laughs> well, I'm taking all the advice that people gave you right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm looking at your inventory. That's why I was scrolling my mm-hmm. phone over. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm over here looking at my phone. Don't mind, just keep talking. No, no, no. I'm looking. You've got like, oh, sorry, we're boring you. Yeah, three, <laughs> escort, three escort Cosworths right oh, now. Yeah, yeah. You have an R8 V8 manual, a 2007 GT3 RS, and RSs are always a good, good investment, it seems like. Uh, and M Coop, the the clown shoe, always a fun. Oh, the clown shoe, right? Unique collector's item and a '67 911 S, an absolutely beautiful one. Mm-hmm. Yep. So quite the even, yeah, small inventory, but quite the inventory of very very special cars. When I do also find uh, maybe my own defense a little bit because people say, "Gosh, you don't have a lot on your website." Because if you come out to the shop, there's a lot more stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's usually 
a lot of stuff is, is in the process of being prepared for sale, mm-hmm. or there are definitely some things that never make it to the website on purpose, you know, because they are, they're brokered out quietly um, amongst yeah. a hiring clientele. So there is some stuff that never gets advertised. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an eclectic stuff. You know, you walk through there some days and you're like, what is going on here? Like there's no <laughs> theme of what you specialize in or anything. And I, I realize it. I don't specialize necessarily in a car. What I specialize in, I suppose, is, is the understanding of the car and how to correctly market that car to maximize the return on that car for a client. You know, I mean, the, the goal is the stuff that comes to the doors is there to be sold. Well, look at the timing for this next question. Uh-oh. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> Where would this go? I don't know. So I'm in the process. I just posted it today on Avance, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I posted it late last night when I got back. It's literally, got back from the rally, posted the car for sale. I have a 14 911 Turbo S. Great cars. Yeah, really fun car. Fantastic, uh, I can tell you right now, fantastic road rally car. If you want to absolutely do everything, reliably go anywhere. I've never had a better car in my life. But um, I've... I was looking at trading it in, but only because of the sales tax credit. Yeah, Washington State. Yeah, so win-win there. But I also, I posted it on Advance because I'm like, this, it's not a car I would be afraid to sell uh, sell to somebody I know, which is always a differentiator for me. That's a strong sentence right there. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've had cars where I'm like, nope, this is getting traded in, and if it goes away and gets burned to the ground, I don't care. But I'm not right. selling it to anybody it's I know. their yep. problem. Yeah. yeah, I had a C63 AMG that the previous owner from me. Oh, the Christmas light one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time I drove it, that thing would just break down or God knows what what and so when I sold it I was like yeah I've told the story on the podcast before but I'm really happy about who I sold it to <laughs> and it immediately died like two weeks later oh. when he wrapped it around a tree which was not a surprise when I sold it to him <laughs> but it was also <laughs> like that car was like no none of my friends get to buy this car at all and mm-hmm. this one is like um yeah I'm putting it out there because I want it's like I, it's been a great car it had a few little issues but they were all taken care of and just re- drove it on the rally and it's fantastic if I was going to consign it, how would that process work? I mean, would I still be able to get the sales tax credit? I mean, what what um, do you think I would get significantly more if I did? Uh, I guess walk me through it as if I'm a customer because I've definitely thought about it. We have a lot of friends in the consignment business. That have been on the no, show it's, it's a there's it's a nuanced question. There's so much to it on some levels. So I, I think starting off with that, let's turn it into an Avance love fest. Is I think that um, well, we do love I, Avance. I, I know, and I, and I do too. I genuinely love it, and I genuinely have enjoyed knowing Adam and supporting it from day one. And it's yeah. it's he's he's built something amazing. Yeah. And and I I wish him all the success and and how he figures out how to grow that because I think it's a well, it's a tough art. thing culturally to grow that culture <laughs> yeah. and expand. Which well, I think and they've I have been talked pretty before, accepting but. of it here, and Portland, and where else? Are you? Denver, yeah, I think Denver now, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, as as well, not to get into that oh, deeply, yeah. but as you expand that across an entire country, oh, it's, see, it's, guess, yeah. it's just like building a company, right? How do you build a culture when you start with a startup of 10, 12, 15 people, and all of a sudden you got thirty eight thousand employees? How do you how do you grow culture across a company? But that's yeah. that's probably a topic for a different time. But what I was going to say about that is. Things like you're talking about, you have a car you've owned, you love it, you enjoy it, you would sell it to a friend. And Avance has created this, uh, I don't want to call it a, a platform, but a, a space where you can do that, right? You've expanded the friendship base. You're like, hey, I'm thinking about selling this car. Anybody want it? You can feel good about posting it up there. Someone else would feel good about buying it. And I would suggest in that scenario, you would be, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you'd probably be okay to selling it at a, a slightly lower price because it's a quick, frictionless Get exactly. it done. Yeah. Cool. I'm happy. You're happy. Off I go. Yep. But you're also coming into that thought process with with a with a spreadsheet or the math side of it of like the car's worth X. If I trade it in, there's a sales tax credit of ten percent, roughly, in the yep. state. So that means I'd willing to take I don't know, X minus 
10-ish percent and somewhere in that zone. And, and it's, again, to me, it's about the friction. Is how much, can, how much friction do you want to remove from the sales transaction? So if you came to me and we talked about it, we would have all those conversations, right? We'd understand what are your goals? What do you want to do next? And I think that's, that's a, I don't want to call it a long front-end process, but it's usually, it's usually not just a five-minute conversation. You're like, Jason, that sounds good. Here you go. Here's the car. It's usually understanding what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? What makes sense next? What is the trade? How can we facilitate that trade? Because I don't, I don't want to leave a sales tax credit on the table if we don't need to. Um, but to facilitate that trade for tax purposes correctly for the Washington State Department of Revenue and all of that, there has to be a process that you follow to, to document that and do it yeah. safely and correctly. And there's ways to do it. I mean, we do it all the time. Hmm. But it does require a little bit of... Finesse? Nah, I wouldn't call it finesse. It's just a little bit of planning, I guess. Maybe finesse. Um, but it's something we could absolutely you know, talk through, and I do talk through all the time with clients. In fact, it's become, it's become a much more popular conversation, I'll say, for the last year. And I don't know why, because nothing's changed in the world, but I get a lot more people, and I've seen it on Avance too, and the group, people asking about it. Um, I don't know why it's gained so much attention lately. It's something that, you know, it's been in Washington State forever. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's heightened I, interest in the topic lately for some reason. I will say, I don't think it's been a topic that has been widely publicized. I think we see it a lot because of the high-end side of it, like... Um, of, of the cars, but like, there's a lot of people out there that I don't think it know they know it exists. Well, I think you're right about that. I yeah. think a lot of people don't know it, and where as as you become, you know, uh, more affluent, uh, and and you are cognizant of wealth, and you think about wealth management techniques and estate planning and all that sort of stuff, is you have to deal with taxes. So you come out here and you've got a seven figure car, you know, you have a serious tax consideration. I mean, yeah. that's, that's real money. That's the yeah. price of a 14 turbo in taxes, right? Yeah, exactly. And so you have <laughs> to think about, if I'm selling a million-dollar car, what do I want to do with that next? Um, and it, it does get more complex as the years go by from a federal IRS standpoint and, and from a Washington State standpoint. But if you're knowledgeable about it and, uh, you know, are, are I hate to say willing to play the game, but there is some component of that. It's like taxes, you know? If, if you yeah. understand the... IRS tax book, then you can figure out how to take advantage of certain things. Also, I think it comes into play in a little bit higher tax bracket. Very few people are looking at going, I'm trading in my Hyundai, and I want to make sure I get this tax credit while I buy right. my next Kia yeah. or whatever. I mean, it's which is usually fine. much more driven about, yeah, yeah. I've, I got a $300 a month payment today, I want a $350 a month payment tomorrow, yeah. you know? And, and so the tax credit's not as, as much of a focus, I agree, on no, the, I, the lower I, dollar stuff. I come, my father's a certified financial planner, so I come from that world where we talk about it. And, and, this, and I think... I knew that there was an automotive tax credit before I really knew what it meant because <laughs> I'd heard yeah. my father talk about it and like making sure that you're selling something and buying something within such a, a, an amount of time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's really interesting. I, I don't think I completely answered your question, so I want to continue on it a bit. Is, is I think what you're asking is if I came to you from a consignment basis, what, what does that process all look like? It's, yeah. it's very much a front-loaded process in my mind. It's about understanding, again, the goals, what do you want to do, and then flushing out what those options are. And I... I maybe to my own fault sometimes, but uh, the transparency that I believe in and everything I do is I'm going to sit there and tell you all your options, right? Yeah, you can sell the car in advance. You can sell it on Bring a Trailer. You can sell it yourself. You can sell it with me. You can trade it into CarMax. I mean, you can go through all those options and figure out what the pros and cons of each path are. Um, it sort of usually depends more about what the goals are. And, and everyone's goals are always slightly different. Some people want to not deal with it. Some people just want to drop a car off and just send me a check when it's done, Jason. Other people want to be highly involved in the process and be like, well, I think we should do this, and I'd really like to see the car marketed in this way, and I want to make sure that this, this silo of people over here know that my car is for sale. 
Some people look for uh, the other the other side of that, which I deal with from time to time, which which is complete and utter confidence. You know that cars are nobody knows who owns the car, and we will actually facilitate. Um, title exchanges where we put it into a company name before we sell yeah. it so that nobody knows that the car came from XYZ's collection or something. Uh, and some of that stuff is you, you, I guess bluntly, a lot of it, you do require a dealer license to be able to do some of those things. It's not something you can do on your own. It's not something you can do through like the bring a trailer online auction format, um, which I think those are fantastic formats as well. And I sell a lot of cars on there too. Um, so it's, I don't know. I want to make sure I'm not, I'm not not answering your question, but I think the question becomes a very personal conversation about the goals that you have to sell a car. And it is a different conversation. I don't, I don't do a lot of cars under a hundred thousand dollars. Most of my stuff is above that dollar range. Um, because I think a lot of that stuff down there, you have so many options and there's ways to facilitate it. And it is makes sense if, you know, I think I saw that you want a Raptor. Yeah. So you have an option of, you can go to the Ford dealer and figure out what that number looks like. Yeah, because look, look, go to the Ford dealer if you have a if you have an exotic car, even mildly exotic. Like even when I traded in my GTR, they go get a buy bid if it's not something that they would sell on their used lot. Exactly, and that's yeah. not a typical. Oh, there's the Ford. I'm going to go to the Ford dealer to buy my next 911. Totally, you don't do that. Yeah. They go they go call a bunch of Porsche dealers or if they're AutoNation, they have like a standard person they go to and they say, okay, here's the value on the car, and they, that's what it is. Yeah, that was something that you know you and I had talked about, and I was kind of curious the fact that like. There, that can add so many steps in the fact if you go into your your Chevy dealer, your Ford dealer with your exotic car, and they're not gonna they're they're, they're lowballing you because they you know they know they can make a profit them. and it's not worth it to them because it's not something that adds a lot of other steps. I mean, have you ever been in part of those deals where you're you're buying cars from new dealers to help with and facilitate things like that? Not a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been exposed to it, of course, but mm-hmm. I I wouldn't say it's it's probably less than ten percent okay. specifically the stuff I deal with. Because um, in that situation, a lot of times, you know, if you if you take, we'll, we'll keep picking on Porsche and Ford yeah. for fun. Because, I mean, <laughs> hey, we got, we got Fords outside and Porsches too, right? <laughs> um, you take your Porsche Turbo to the local Ford dealer. You know, by definition, their wholesale bid is going to be roughly 20% under retail. Mm-hmm. Because they have to factor in their costs, their overhead, all that sort of stuff. Now, you're going to get 10% of that back right away from the sales tax side. Yep. Somebody's driving something nice outside. Wow. What was it? Like a vintage green Porsche 911 with white racing stripes and a number on the like I don't, I couldn't like <laughs> wow <laughs> sorry I'm s- ah Redmond <laughs> <laughs> sorry I just wow it sounded good I haven't seen what that that's okay. <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> no and and for what it's worth I guess to share on the you know back to the age 25 35 45 stuff you know when I was 25 I thought that was ridiculous I'm like what do you mean they give you 20% less than what it's worth that seems like highway robbery and once you go through the process and learn like you know they're not getting rich giving you 20% under on their portion they make it up in volume right yeah. because they're only going to make you know 3 or 4% after all their overhead costs yep. and all that sort of stuff um so where was I going with this? <laughs> the process, and you said Ford versus. Uh, we're talking about Ford and Porsche, and then. Oh, I think I was just picking on the fact that when you when you take your car in on yeah. that trade-in basis, that number is is small. You know, yeah. the first impression, but you factor back in the sales tax credit for our state, and it helps. And sometimes, broadly speaking, it doesn't always hold true. But if if you came to me, and we had that conversation, and, and my consignment fee structure, it generally the conversation starts at ten percent, but it it can vary on certain things. Um, the the 10% of the consignment fee is usually covered all inside of the sales tax credit is the yeah. way I often think of it. So the net net is 
you either pay the sales tax somewhere else or you pay someone to sell the car for you at a no tax basis. So it's sort of six and one half dozen the other. Yeah. I'm, I'm way oversimplifying it, but I, I think you follow. No, yeah, totally get it. Yeah, I, I was like, what I would sell it for like retail, if somebody from Avance decided they wanted to buy my car, would be higher because I need to, I'm going to compensate for that that loss of the totally. sales tax credit. Right. So it's like what I'm expecting to get from there is need, it needs to be a higher number than what it would be in the trade. And that just makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. So you can't do the sales tax if you private sell, correct? No. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, yeah I'm clarifying. In the, yeah, no, yeah. you're 100% correct. Yes. A private party transaction, there's no, no you can't facilitate the sales tax. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can funnel it through an interim service, like uh, I know some other places that where you can basically sell your car to a private party, but then they buy it from the dealer, dealer. And well, for kind a of fee, like he, they run the paperwork yeah. through it. Yeah, no, and, and yeah. I mean, even if you're sitting there doing the air quotes around that, right? It's <laughs> it's um. It's kind of like what he was doing with where he was hiding the the previous owner too. Oh, sort of a little bit. The only reason I hesitate on it is it's as a car guy, we've all been through it, right? You try to figure out how to import the car that's not supposed to be here, how to avoid the taxes <laughs> you don't want to pay. I mean, we've all had the thought process, right? I mean, I can't tell you the number of cars I've wanted to import and even justify like, well, it's fine. No one's going to know that I have that. Everybody knows only you, 12 years old, you not take 25 it apart years old. And you ship it in different crates. Right. No, no one's going to figure it out. They don't figure it out and you assemble it here and it's already been here. Yeah, right. Totally fine. That's, that's the old GTR story. <laughs> The original totally. R34s, yeah. And yeah. so, I, so I, I guess I get all that. The tax thing to me, again, I suppose, once you become licensed and regulated and go all that sort of stuff, the stuff where I see people offering up this idea of like, oh, I can I can do that for you for a fee. God, I mean, the risk factor out there, mm -hmm. I know. And I've been through two audits in the last 10 years from a Department of Revenue um, because we sell high-dollar cars out of state. Oh, and so yeah. the state is like... We saw you sold the $650,000 Cobra back in this year, and it went to somewhere in Arizona. Can you prove it? Right? Because otherwise, they want their $65,000 in sales tax. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's the, the audit process is, we'll say that it's thorough. It's a painful process. It goes on for many days. Can't sit down after it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess I just, I don't know. I, everyone can do whatever they want, but I see that stuff where people are offering to do these for services. Like, yeah, that's all great until it's not great. Yeah. Basically stay above board, do things legally. If yeah. It costs you, it costs you, but in the end it's going to get you. If you yeah. Don't. yeah. 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 I was going to say the, the fees and the potential jail time to save 10 grand is uh, not worth it. Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> and especially you start, you know, again, we're back to plant financial planning and wealth management, and all that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, sometimes you just pay sales tax and that's yeah. just the way it is. Yep. You know, but if you're thinking about selling a car and you're thinking about buying another car and there's someone who you can, lean on their services to consign a car and do all that in a legitimate way. You know, there's there's great strategies out there to avoid taxes. Yeah. And boy, do they love to take taxes. <laughs> yes, they do. Especially here. Yeah. Are there any cars that you, you've had that you found tough to sell? Not because you couldn't sell them, because you had personal attachment to them. Like there's one that came in, you're like, I just want to keep looking at this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, it's, it's a great question, and I've, I've had this conversation several times even just this last week uh, about a few things, and, and I guess I would share that I have very few regrets in life, and I, I think that, especially when it comes to cars, there's not many cars that I sold, and like, I regret selling that car. You know, a couple of cars that were influential to me back in the day is I had a VR6 Corrado. Oh, was yeah. my, it was my first real car. You know, I got a job at Microsoft. I wanted one of those and, so bad. Oh, God, it was, they were good. It mm -hmm. was really good. And I, 
I, you know, I, I, I sold it at the right time for all the right reasons. I don't regret it, but I see them now. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll have another one. And like, I think there's one I'm bringing to this week. Went for like $32,000. And I was like, Whoa. I don't know that I'd love it that much. <laughs> you know? That's a lot of love. Maybe, maybe twelve or 15000 yeah. for a really nice yeah. one or something. Um, I also had a an, uh, the V8 Audi S4 wagon, the Avant, which was, <sighs> yeah. you know, Nagaro blue. And I had was, one of those. It was good. Yeah. It was really good. And I had track time in it and road trips in it and... And it was during an influential time of life, and so that was all really good. Um, I think with the cars that I get to deal with and the stuff that comes through the shop all the time, uh, I'm pretty good at falling in love with almost every single car that comes through there. <laughs> and to be honest, the ones that I don't, those are the hardest ones to sell because if I can't connect with the car, it's hard to... Sell your passion. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to sit down and do the write-up on the car, and it's hard to <laughs> get like, excited to go photograph well, it's it. it's blue, and, and it's, it's got blue, four wheels. And it's really old, <laughs> and yeah. and, and It's so, boring, its value is overinflated, but one of you probably wants it. <laughs> but so you should you definitely go. buy it from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I see that in my own work, right? I see the stuff I'm very passionate about, and you can see it. It comes through in the written word. It comes through in the photographs. It comes through in my excitement about the documentation and the history folder and all that stuff. So... It's, um, I suppose, to your original question, I fall in love with a lot of stuff, but I also am reminded that that's what I do. You know, it's, it's my goal is to have them in and out. They come in, they get processed through, so to speak, and out they go, and there's always more. Like, it never stops. Yeah. And I used to always, I guess, you know, back to that thing a long time ago, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, and is this a good idea, and, should, you know, maybe I should just go back to Microsoft and all that, and then you realize, like, oh, this just works. It just keeps going. And I haven't really advertised what I do in years. It's all referral based. Um, and that always surprises the hell out of me sometimes. But I'm, I'm at that juncture currently, especially this year. And I know others I talk to in my space are the same way. This year is the weirdest year ever, of course, on, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. period, the end. <laughs> Business-wise, it's off the rails in a good way. I mean, it's so busy. We've seen that. So many uh, new cars showing up. Yeah, yeah all it's, the time. it's nonstop. Um, and I've, I've brought a person on to help. And I, I, for a long time, I never wanted to do that because I love the flexibility of being completely solo. And if I don't feel like going into work on Tuesday morning, I don't have to. Um, and I sense I'm have to bring more people on. And that's a fun, wonderful new challenge too. You know, it's more of a business growth challenge than a car challenge. Um, but anyway, I'm looking forward to that sort of stuff. And, and I know the cars will keep coming and going. So the more stuff to fall in love with and watch it come and go. Kind of a two-part question. You had mentioned about when you're talking to people about taking a car on, you said the process of preparing a car for being sold. So the, what process do you put a car through as far as making sure that when a car is sold from your business, that, that it, it shows that? And two, uh, the second part of that question is, is there a car you want to sell? Like that, that unicorn car you said, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so I think uh, I think preparation is is a space uh, bluntly that I'm really good at. I think I understand what it takes to prepare a car for sale, um, and I think to me there's there's kind of two silos. There's probably more, but just as I'm thinking out loud here, one silo is the physical car. It's that preparation of the car. So I tend to um, I think some would say that I maybe over detail to some extent. I think a car needs to look fantastic, and needs to look fantastic everywhere. Inside, outside, underneath, wheels off, you know, everything. And so I have a wonderful partner and a detail guy um, in Seattle who does a lot of underbody pressure washing and steam cleaning and all that stuff. So you take modern Porsches like your 991 Turbo and we make it look like it's brand new. Even though I think yours, I saw your post, it has 
40, something like that. 49,100 right? miles on it. So my goal to prep your car, so to speak, was I'd like it to look like it's 4,900 miles on it. Yeah. You know, and, and that requires some money and some time and some effort to get it there. But I think that those cars sell faster. Oh, for sure. I think it's about, I always say the friction, but as you remove the questions and the friction, so if you if it has new tires and new brakes and a fresh service and all that sort of stuff, then people are like, okay, cool, I don't have any other questions. I guess now we're getting into negotiation. Yep. You know, where you start like, oh, it doesn't have tires? Well, well how did this person use it? And what else did they do with it? And so um, the preparation on modern cars is very much like that. The preparation on, um, you know, we sold a, uh, a Ferrari 275 GTB last year, which was... You know, one of my favorite sales. It was one of the more expensive cars I've dealt with, and it's it's a wonderful thing, and it's a it's a piece of art. Yeah, but it's also a piece of history, and so the documentation file is thick, and you go through it, and it has all this wonderful stuff from Italy back in the 1960s, where it was serviced, and where it went, you know, it went back to Scaglietti for paint, and it went to Ferrari for service, and it it was just amazing, and all these you know thin onion skin paper, and and I think all of that is part of that preparation process. You know, yeah. it's about showing those details and and presenting a story around a car where people get excited about it. Because all this stuff, and I keep pointing out here behind, you know, all the cars behind you at the windows here at Drivers Club, it's, they're emotional purchases. They're not, these aren't, you don't need these cars. They're not <laughs> daily driven things. They're, I always say it's cars three and up in the garage, you know? Um, and so I think that preparation is, is, paramount to determining a great result on a car and some of the cars i've dealt with have had you know the most unbelievable history files with period photography and all that is so great when you get it from an owner it takes weeks to go through that stuff you know and to reorganize and decide what's important what stuff has to get digitized what stuff scan what stuff you need to send out for reproduction of things um and so all of that that preparation process back to why i'm more of a boutique dealer as opposed to a volume level specialty car dealer is because that stuff just takes time. and uh, But I, I think all of that is what makes those cars uh, easier slash, not easier, but but better, where yeah. people walk up and they're like, oh, God, this is fantastic. There's and that's why your reputation precedes you in the fact that that's why people buy cars from you and why people want to consign with you because it's a different type of process. There's a lot of places where you can consign your car and they, they don't care if it's washed and it's going to sit on their lot and, you know, right. somebody buys it, somebody buys it. So this is a little... No, I think everybody confusing. runs through the standard detail, right? Give yeah. it a quick detail, yeah. photograph it, stick on the lot. You know, I think, I think it's some 16-year-old kid that asked for a job to come down and clean the car. Totally. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we spent a lot of time, I think, focused on photography uh, and focused on the written words. I think those are the two things that are the first impression. Uh, it's an overused phrase, but... If you see a picture of a car I have for sale, I want you to click on the ad. I don't want you to see the picture and be like, yeah, cool, next. I'm like, I want to see more. Yeah. And I think that's you have to have that intro picture that pulls you in to want to see the rest of the photos of a car. Sure. Yeah, I haven't listed mine. Like, I've listed like a little one picture of it. Yeah, where did you take that picture? That's a phenomenal picture, by the uh, way. Highway 20 on the way to Winthrop. I actually okay. have a map marker saved of it. from Because that's where <laughs> when I'm doing that drive. That's where I told people to pull over so we can get the background shot of the mountains behind uh, the car. Yeah. I, I know the spot. But yeah, I, I haven't posted the rest of the photos yet because it's going in for detail tomorrow morning to get everything super, super clean so that I can list it with right. proper photos. Yeah. It's like, no, you, like, yeah, the car's been driven, but I take 
really good care of my cars. So. Well, I think it's also just something that we all do more of the last 10 years, right? Yeah. As social media has picked up and everybody's a photographer nowadays, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Anybody can pick up a lens. Anybody's a photo. I mean, yeah. Geez, <laughs> yeah. I got a four-year-old iPhone. So I'm yeah, always exactly. a photographer. <laughs> oh, yeah. you don't need one auto, of those. Auto, auto, <laughs> yeah. auto. Right. That's what Carl more, does. Show me more about the he auto function. He turns on, on the skin. Sony and, and it takes the photos for him. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carl's, we, so if you don't he's know, like Carl's been gone for a while and he's actually back, so we, we miss him, but um, he's actually... You, You'll see some of his photos on this again. So yeah, yeah. What was your second question? Yeah, oh, the what's, second what's, part. What's the unicorn car? What yeah, car would you? What, oh. kind of, what car would you like to prep for, for sale? Or I mean, or own? I mean, either way. I mean, I suppose the, the default answer, and then I'll give him a more realistic answer. The default is is <laughs> the McLaren like, F1. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want <laughs> yeah. one, right? I mean, they're just amazing and yeah. phenomenal. And it, I'll and, clean the engine, bay. and it's it, to me, it's it's not about the dollar level in that car, although that's you know astronomical. It's it's the details, and I think that car, you know, when I've spent time around them, which is I don't have clients that own one necessarily. It's it's the you see them in Monterey, you get a mm-hmm. chance to peek in the window, you get a chance to spend twenty minutes just staring at one, mm-hmm. you know. Gordon Murray is just, he's off the charts in how he designed yep. that car. He's added details. again, too. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and I think that's part of what turns me on about cars. It's, it's usually the details. It's about how well something's done and how well something's built and how well something's thought out and that process of car designers and car builders and all that stuff. And, and admittedly, it's not what you asked, but I, I have to segue on it for a second because yeah. I had the conversation like 10 times in the last week. It's the modern cars... They're tough. They're tough to love in a certain mm-hmm. level because they, they're so production-based. And they aren't that the detail. It's, they're wonderful cars. You know, it's like we talked about beforehand. You know, I don't care if you've got a brand-new GT3 RS or a 488 GTB or whatever. They're phenomenally fast. There's nothing to fault yeah. in the performance characteristics of the modern. You can't wrench on them, though. Right. You can't wrench you on can't them. You can't take it home and do it yourself. And so it becomes kind of a decision on what do you want to own, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to own, do you want the Porsche experience? Do you want the Ferrari experience? Do you want the Lamborghini experience? And if you have a chance, I would say experience all of them, you know? Buy one, sell it, buy another one, sell it, buy mm-hmm. another one, you know? Use a dealer for the sales tax credit trade-in. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, I love the modern cars, but I'm also conflicted because when I get inside them, I'm like, mm, it's just not... It's too automatic for me. It, yeah. I want the mechanical feel. Yeah. Like there's nothing. I always, and I've talked to Dan about this. I could drive the, the Maserati all day. It's a wonderful car. But when I get in the Triumph, and even though I'm only doing 25 miles an hour, and I feel like I'm doing 70, and there's that mechanical, f- it's, there's something to it. I feel more connected to the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, my personal opinion. You know? Yeah. No, I totally get that. That's uh, the positive and the downside of the Turbo S for me is here that car's invisible. I can drive that car around the east side all day, and yeah. one of a hundred people might even notice that it's turbo, let alone a turbo S. And most don't care, which is a really great thing when you have a car like that around here. It is because you can yeah. have like one of literally the fastest cars in production still zero to sixty, and people just don't notice it because the nine elevens are so prevalent here. They're just they're all the same to everybody. Oh, that one's got a wing. It's nine eleven, but it's got a wing. Whatever, <laughs> nobody really cares. Uh, the brakes helped a little. But it's also, you know, it's the positive as well, is that I can drive it around anytime oh, I want. Oh, painting your calipers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I get that. Calipers, yeah, I get that. Okay. Well, to, to, to answer your unicorn question, maybe yeah. a little bit different, and I'm, I'm fully thinking about this, but it, it echoes, I guess, to what I just said. I think the car I would most like to consign is something, prob- it's probably a race car. Uh, it's probably a rally car. Uh, but it's something that has amazing history. I'm more interested, I think, in the history of something that would be so 
enjoyable to represent it for sale that would uh, be exciting. So I don't know what that is. I, I think I've I've had a couple of cars like that, and they've they've challenged me to put the information together, present it correctly, and and those cars are also when they have race history. It's also there's a huge variable on the price. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's tough to figure out is it worth this number or that number. Whereas you know, no disrespect towards the turbo, but the turbo is a commodity based car. Oh yeah, for sure. I can go into Mannheim and I can see what the wholesale numbers are, and I know roughly yeah. within, a, you know. 2000 bucks what that car is going to trade for. Yep. Um, but you start to get in these cars that are worth five, six, eight hundred, one point two million, And is it worth 1.2 or 1.5? Well, that's a huge yeah. span of raw dollars. Three turbo S's. <laughs> but it's also very logical when you start, you know, yeah. picking out a race car. Like, well, tell me more about the early race history and how well documented is it? And what happened with this? And do we know how many components were switched and all that? So I think, I guess my unicorn is probably either something from the Group B rally era. Lancia an Stratos. actual, yeah, like an actual that's works car. Not just one of the 200, but like one of, you know, one yeah. of the works cars. That would be phenomenal to, and, and I and I hope and I, I believe I will transact some of those as we move forward. Um, and I also love the endurance cars from the 80s. The Le Mans, you know, Porsche 956, 962, yeah. Group C, that whole era. Like, I think that's a space that, A, continues to have more and more interest from a collectible standpoint and a space that, that interests me personally. So I'd love to get more into that space. I was watching... Um some YouTube stuff, uh, a YouTuber that's kind of coming up and he's looking to buy a race car. He wants a race car. And he was talking to this guy and he said, I want, I want a race car that has ra- you know, race history and has won and it's just perfect. And the guy goes, no, because those don't exist. He says, the perfect race cars out there didn't win anything. That's why they're perfect. They've, they haven't been beat on. Yeah. They were, they were, and they were talking about something yeah. like the classic, uh, the Bugatti, the 35, the original, like, oh yeah. And that raced up into the fifties and won hundreds of races. And there's only like 30 of them where he goes, you want something like that. You want something that's been beat on, that, but it has history. That You want race history? A, a car like that's going to be broken. And you're not gonna, it's not going to have the original parts that came from the factory because they broke in the field, they fixed them, they did, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because you want a perfect race car? Didn't win anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, yeah. You want the spare car that sat on the yep. side? <laughs> yeah. 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 The yeah. display car. Yeah. yeah. The Very one much. that they didn't, didn't end up using. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's take our second break. We'll come back, talk more about car passion. We'll be right back. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back and. uh... These conversations on the brakes are where we get things going. We were geeking Again, out. Again, I really wish we could release yeah. some. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We were geeking out over your car in the parking lot. Every time I looked at that car, I just kept finding things I loved even more and more. From the fuel filler to the way the wing sits on the back to the old school carbon fiber to the giant turbo, which has got to have incredible and fun lag. Um, but everything about the car is cool. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. Think. My guns! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Tell us more Hang about on. the Escort that you're driving right now. So I bought that car a little over 10 years ago. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know you had it that long. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to it goes back to the original start at the beginning of this, right? So my dad was in the rally, and I saw the Group B cars. I liked the Ford RS200. So when Ford released the Escort Cosworth, you know, in 92, I was super stoked about it. I mean, you know, I was 16 years old, and I loved the thing. And, of course, there were none here. And it's that whole forbidden fruit. You always want what you can't have. Uh, and so we all want these great cars out of Europe at the time that were never here. Um, 
And the small company down in California called Sun International um, started importing Ford Escort Cosworths in, uh, I want to say, like around 97, 98, sometime around that. They imported roughly a dozen of the cars. Um, and those cars are super rare and unique in the USA Escort Cosworth circles because they are 50-state compliant. It's the only car that you can legally register in California. Um, if you import an Escort Cosworth today, you cannot register in California. Huh. So that's interesting. And those cars carry a little bit of a premium for those reasons. Um, I didn't know this actually until just a few years ago, but my car was actually the first car that Sun imported. And so it's a 94 early car, big turbo car. Um, and we'll go into the big turbo, small turbo thing later. But so Sun imported it. They drove that car across country to Michigan to do EPA testing. Um, they did the TOT certification in that car. And they learned that, oh, you can't really import big turbo cars. And so all the other Sun cars are small turbo cars. Um, and so mine has that unique distinction of, of being the only big turbo, uh, 50 state compliant U.S. car. Um, so they which just, is the geeky factor, and it doesn't matter because I don't plan on selling. Kind of cool though, but the, the, super they, cool. This yeah, is the usual, one. like where they had to wait a certain amount of time. They brought them in before, and then and went and had them tested. Is what you're saying, right? So, so under the 25 okay. year rule, yeah, you can you can now bring these cars in. Okay, uh, you know, and that just started a couple of years ago because the they're first not ones were 90 state compliant. Is what correct? You're saying. Okay, so Sun imported these cars, um, and they sold back in period for big money. You know, they were they were Porsche turbo level pricing back then. And there's fun period articles. You know, they were in European Car Magazine and Car and Driver. They did the road tests and all this sort of stuff. And so that's, I bought that car. I was looking for one forever. Um, there was a blue one for sale, one of the other Sun cars. And this, this story actually will tie together greatly. Uh, it was like 17, 18 years ago. And the car was up for sale in California. And I always forget the exact number, but it was a number that it didn't matter the number was because I couldn't afford it. So I wanted the car, and I always tell the story that uh, I missed out on that one. Well, I missed out because I didn't have any money, right? There's no way I could afford the damn thing. Oh, in that case, I missed out on Enzo yesterday. Totally. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and, but I, I did on some levels. I was, I, was, I, don't know, I was mesmerized by the car, and I really wanted one. And so my red one came up for sale. It was strange. A friend sent it to me. It had been listed on eBay like twice as a no sale. And so when I saw it, it had been picked up by Jalopnik, um, and it was on eBay, and it was in Portland, Oregon. And I called the guy up, and I said, I just need to know how to spell your last name. He goes, why? I go, because I'm bringing a cashier's check. Come to pick the car up. And he goes, okay. And so I literally brought a cashier's check. We drove down to Portland the next morning. I walked in. I saw the car. I handed him the check. And he goes, well, don't you want to drive it? And I said, Mm, does it not run or something? He's like, no, I just think people like to drive cars before they buy them. I've been driving this in my mind for the last eight years. Right, and I'm yeah. like, yeah. okay. And so, you know, okay. my, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, we, we hopped in the car and we literally drove around the block, went to the gas station to fill up the gas because I'm like, I'm buying the car and we're driving home to Seattle. Drove back, gave him the check, drove it home, blah, blah, blah. Love the story. So here it is, uh, 17, 18 years later, the blue Sun International Escort Cosworth is in my building right now under a consignment basis, being <laughs> sold. It's the same car that I didn't buy 17 or 18 years ago. Um, and that car is also the car, of those who have seen it, was on the Wheeler Dealers TV show. Oh, and so that has, yeah, yeah. Okay. that's the third wing conversation. And, and so all this, and you guys can stop me or redirect me when, how, how geeky you want to get in Escort Cosworth conversation here. Um, Escort Cosworths have, in, in the standard conversation, there's two wings. There's the standard wing, which is on my red car outside. You know, it's the biplane Ch spoiler. Giant center post, yep. yeah. 
And then in 1997, when Ford was rallying the cars, they had to create what was you know, called the WRC kit car. Not Sorry, not kit car. The WRC car, uh, which Ford competed with in 97 and 98. So the WRC bodywork is a different rear spoiler. It's it's just as tall, but it's lower. It has There's no view out the back. It's all blocked. Um, it has different front bodywork and different front fenders. And that was how Ford kept the car semi-competitive in 97 and 98 before the release of the Focus. Um, so you see cars like that. I've had a couple of WRC cars. I have uh, the car we were talking about in the, the poster over there, that Repsol car, um, which was just, it's, that's probably been one of the most enjoyable car projects I've done in years. Um, the Repsol car? Yeah. Yeah. It's it beautiful. was, thank you. It was, um, it kind of exceeded expectations. Um, the car came out of Sweden. Uh, it's been a rally car its whole life. It went through a, a cosmetic and mechanical refurbishment in Sweden about two years ago. Uh, has a very few number of hours on it since. Um, and we brought it in to kind of just, the original idea was just to kind of clean it up and market it, you know, a little bit differently than it would have been sold in Europe and just see if we could have some fun with it. And once it showed up and I saw it and I was like, huh, I wonder what it might look like with a vintage livery package on it. Um, and I, you know, a little obsessive about this stuff. Instead of just doing what I had to, you know, study all the livery packages and figure out which one was the most iconic and which one I loved the most. And I finally just went back to what I believed in, which is that car was on the cover of uh, a Ford Escort Cosworth book that I've had for 20 years. And I was like, that's the car we have to recreate. Um, and we went all out, you know, in terms of the historical accuracy of... So it wore that livery? No. So this is no. a, 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 a tribute, a made-up okay. car, right? So okay. it's, it's a real rally car. Um, it was never, uh, it's not the ex Carlos signs, uh, Repsol P6 WRC car or anything like that. Um, it was, it was just something we kind of did for fun. And it's a little bit, it's been understanding, is there a market for these cars and what's the desire of people to have something like that? It is a, it's a unique car in, in the States that it's, uh, it's legal here. It's, it's a USA titled car. It's a street legal car. It's 49 state legal car. <laughs> uh, it also has full FIA homologation paperwork, so it's also legal around the world for rallying events. It has a certified roll cage, and, and these are topics that in this geeky space people care about. And so all those things together, it's, it's been a little bit of a better car than I, I thought going into the whole project, and it turned out wonderfully, cosmetically. It was exactly what I wanted, and we spent too much time. I spent too much time. Researching how do you find the modern seats that look like the old seats? What are the modern harnesses that look like? Because I, I wanted, to me, it was I just wanted the photo. I really just wanted to make the car look exactly like it would have looked in 1997. Um, and that's hard. It's harder than I thought it was. You know, it's things like as we're wearing these, it's like figuring out what headset. And they used Peltor headsets back then. Well, you can't find a vintage Peltor headset that actually works. And so do you want a headset that doesn't work? Or do you want one that does work? And after driving the car the first time, I'm like, oh, you have to have a headset that works. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so damn loud. You can't, yeah, yeah, it's just, you can't talk to the person next to you. And so it has, you know, rally transit headsets and all that stuff in it today. Is this is, is this a car you're keeping, personal car? Or, or? So you've, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, you've, you've pressed the ultimate button mm-hmm. today. Yeah. So I made it so nice, I just can't sell it. <laughs> there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I... I was not planning to keep it. Mm. Um, I've absolutely fallen in love with it. Uh, and I literally, two hours before coming here, got an offer on it that I guess I have to decide tonight what we're doing. Oh, okay. So that's, right. that's kind of the process here. Um, if I do sell it, I look forward to doing another one. 
would probably pick a different livery just for for the change of pace. Uh, and I would like to do one or two of those, like you know, moving forward for fun. I think that's part of the fun and the fact that as much as we fall in love with our cars, when you're building a project, it's so much fun and it's fun to enjoy it. Yeah. But then it's also fun to go, okay, what's the next project? And I think it's true. And I, th- I think, you know, the, you asked the question earlier and I kind of steered it a slightly different way. But as I think about this car today and in and, and real time today, what do I do with it? I love the car. I think we're fortunate to build it in a way that we can sell it, make a small profit, move on to the next thing. Um, and that's hard to do when you build cars like that. So there's a part of me that's like, you know, go with the momentum, do it, build the next thing. Um, I guess ultimately we'll see. Escort Causer to me is... I never set out to become the expert in North America on these cars or the guy who sold the most of them, but I, I just have tripped into this space. Uh, and I've Accidental I've, success. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed it. It's absolutely, a, it's a labor of love and a passion project. There's, there's not enough money to be made in those cars um, from a business standpoint. If you're not doing full-on service work and rally preparation work and all that sort of stuff like they do with those cars in Europe, you know, here we're just... We're just making pretty things to sell out of it, yeah. you know, and we're doing lightweight mechanical work on them. But um, I do love them. I've, I've had a ton of fun with them for a long time. Uh, I've got four of them in the shop right now, including my own. Um, so there's like 35 in the U.S. and four of them are in Issaquah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's actually five in Issaquah. Yeah, yeah, five. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I forgot the other one. Yeah, I know the other one. Um, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it's the second time I've actually had four at my shop in the last few years. Uh, <laughs> and it's... It's a little surreal, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was watching, like, you get numb to it because you see them all the time. But, um, yeah, must, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. That must have been a fun phone call when you got the call to, to list the blue car. Like, it really after was. All those it was, years. It was, you know, again, it was referral-based. It, yeah. it was a friend in California who actually I know through the Renault, Renault R5 turbo space. And he was friends with the owner of the car. And the owner's like, I'm trying to figure out what to do and where do I sell it? And he goes, just call Jason. He's like, don't even, just call <laughs> Jason. And <laughs> so he called idea. me up and I said, absolutely, here's what we do. Here's the approach. Here's what we do. I'll send the truck. Did ship you, it up did here. Did you know it was the car? I did, yeah. Okay. And it's, um, what I find in the Escort Cosworth circles is the third wing on that Wheeler Dealer car is very polarizing. People love it or hate it. Um, most, and I'm gross stereotypes here, but most escort car owners don't love it because it's it's like you've screwed with something that's in their mind the way it's supposed to be. Right. And non-Cosworth owners um, go bonkers over it. And I think it's the coolest damn thing ever because it was on a TV show. Um, not to pick on Carl, but I, I do find uh, a lot of British folks love it. And I think it's because of the British host of Wheeler Steelers. Um but yeah, the third wing is it's it's a very polarizing thing. Um, I think I love the story of it. Frank Stevenson was the original designer of the car, and it was part of his original design brief on the car that was going to have this triple level spoiler. And I think Wheeler Dealers did a nice job of putting it, doing it. They stuck it in the wind tunnel. They proved it did add downforce. Yeah. So like, there's a practical application beyond just the cosmetics of it. Yep, that's yeah. Okay. I, I, yep. I have never seen one with a third really? wing. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's well, the only one. I think I... Oh, yeah. It was okay. a one-off thing. So it was never... The car was never produced uh, that way. Okay. But for the TV show, you know, being Hollywood, they had to do okay. something. Okay, I understand. I just... And so they just had to go I'm down that I'm sitting there going, path. like, I've like, never seen... Yeah. About? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I get you. And it's... it's. I think it's... I think the story's super cool. Yeah. I think visually... It does kind of like you got to sit It's a little busy. <laughs> it's a little busy. Yeah. Um, but I think the story's cool, and um, I think that the vast, more pe- vast majority of people I speak to about the car, they love it. You know, they're excited about it. I get it. I mean, yeah. it 
from a from a distance, it's it's different. Yeah. But and I and I can definitely see what you mean by I think what is this to me, you know, my opinion, the escort cars are just so iconic on its own. And it has the the spoiler is what makes it so iconic. Mm-hmm. So to mess with that is is dangerous. You know, yeah. when you mess with design it's it's a tough thing. Um so, I, yeah, I <laughs> I didn't want you to think I was ignoring. I'm like, I don't know. I, I can't <laughs> no, picture no, it. Totally. Like, yeah. I did so. think about bringing that one tonight because yeah, I know so. you guys would have enjoyed that one. But you know, yeah. you can only bring yeah. one. Yeah. No, I like I like this one because you know the Avant's cover. So yeah, totally. And that's the other thing. I, I figured it's, we're on a high right now with the Avant's cover and the shirts and all this stuff. So it's it's fun to see the car and see the cars on the magazine cover. And, yeah. Uh, I know I enjoyed the hell out of the article and feel humbled to be you know featured and be a part of all that this month. So that's been really great. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park with that first issue. No kidding. Yeah, I can't wait for the next one already because I've read it cover to cover at least two or three times now. It's just I know I can't wait till Adam does. I think he should do it monthly instead of quarterly. I know. Well, we we, yeah. we we know we know the <laughs> Carl's like no, Carl's no, like, no. no. So much work. I know. <laughs> we I, know the prep work for the photos that happened uh, for the second one. Right. It will be fabulous because we were there. So I yeah. mean, it just had nothing to do with any of the cars we have. But well, uh, yeah, we just bring all the iPhones and it's yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, totally right. <laughs> Just auto. It's easy done. to be a photographer. <laughs> auto just hang fill. out the bed of a, <laughs> auto fill. When Apple doesn't get it right, you send it to Google Photos, hit auto yeah. done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> Carl's just twitching. <laughs> yeah, he usually twitches. Well, it's a perfect uh, segue to Avance. Uh, there is something really cool happening this weekend with Avance that none of us will be able to go to unless we get really ambitious. And that is the Avance Denver track day with Sarian Motorsports and Avance Denver Drive. Um, I wish that we could have planned in advance to make this. And I'm still thinking about it, honestly. We were in Missoula. That wouldn't have been that hard. I know. It wouldn't have been that uh, Yeah. <laughs> Just it, swing on through. It'd be hard to sell your car with 49,100 miles on it now. But <laughs> Yeah, if they come back with how many miles? Of it? Well, 52,000 now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm intended to fly over and check it out. I've been looking at property over there. But, uh, yeah, that's it's really cool that they're expanding. I wish we could be part of that. Mm-hmm. I'm. Who knows? You never know. A little hard to travel right now. But... Very cool stuff, and I, I'm jealous because I've driven a little bit around the area there, and that little bit of driving I did is Nirvana over there. It is so beautiful, and it's oh, probably so a lot less smoke right now. <laughs> I don't know. It's working its way. Yeah, but, I mean, between Manitou Springs, Garden of the Gods, Pikes Peak, and uh, I mean, there's just so much around that area. Aspen, Breckenridge, Vale, it's just that whole area is driving heaven. It's just beautiful there. Probably a lot of deer to hit. I don't know. I need, I need, a, couple, I need a couple days off from driving. <laughs> oh, I'm going yeah. to be honest. Oh, man. Yeah, I was at the gym <laughs> today, and I was yeah. like, my knees are sore. <laughs> and it was just because I was just sitting in the car for so long with them no, cramped I'm up. Thank like, you. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we do have a few listeners over there. I know. I get a, occasional hits from the, that area on the on the webpage and on the site. So We know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> no. Really cool stuff, though. We should probably we should go over there and check it out and do an interview with some of those guys. I think it'd be fun. Okay. Yeah, done deal. Yeah, glad I had to convince you. Yeah, it's actually. <laughs> <laughs> we need to sell some more sponsorships. We'll fly there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you want to geek out on Cosworth stuff or talk about consigning your car, if you're interested in a specialty car, especially European, I suppose. <laughs> or Fords. Or Fords, yeah. <laughs> the, that's the not g- a Subaru? <laughs> Hey, the good Fords. Oh, we didn't get to Subarus tonight. <laughs> the yeah, good Fords okay. are European. What can I say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a hold of Jason Harris, it's uh, Northwest European. Uh, you can find him on Avance, of course, which is where we con- connect a lot. Um, but is it NorthwestEuro.com to get a hold of you? Yeah, NWEuro.com. NWEuro.com. And yeah. your Avance magazine, if you don't have it yet, should be coming in the mail real soon. 
open it up, read it from cover to cover, especially. Yeah, they're available at some of our friends at Griot's. I know you can actually go down there and pick up a magazine. Park Place has them in the showroom and I think in the uh, the salon, which is a partner, of course, with Avance, a few other places around here. So they're not hard to find. If you need to find one, let us know or just go to Avance.com and check them out. Thanks for taking time. Thanks for bringing the car. Absolutely Love awesome to car. see it. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been enjoyable. Thanks. Uh, well, for this, rep- for this episode of RCS or Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.